Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hello, this is Dan Levitard, and this is South Beach Sessions. Stanley Tucci is a lot of different things. Emmy winner, Golden Globe. He was nominated for an Academy Award, but he's also figured out life. He's got life by the balls. He's super likable, and so he gets to travel the globe eating a bunch of food and travel shows, and everybody just likes him. He's very good at acting, but he just comes on the screen, and you just kind of like looking at him. Devil Wears Prada, his character's are rich and we got to chatting a little bit about food before we were taping here and how much it means to him because it links him to his ethnicity so let's just begin here stanley with which one stirs more passions in you film or food well they both stir passions although with food you don't have to wait as long so acting is a lot about waiting so when you're making a movie or a tv show you end up waiting a lot um, and there was some, I can't remember who it was. Some people say it was Richard Harris who said someone knocked on his trailer one day and they said, Mr. Harris, we're so sorry to keep you waiting. And he said, it's all right. It, you know, I, I get paid to wait. It's the acting I do for free. And that's kind of the way I feel about it. With food, you can kind of keep moving all the time, which I rather like. What percentage of acting is fun and what percentage is waiting? Just because you know, when you get oh, into these. man. Oh, man. If you're on a big movie, you're waiting a lot. The smaller the movie, the less you wait. Do you miss that time? Do you miss the time of just going onto a movie set and being at the core of creativity because you don't have to wait for budgets, economies, and 4,000 lighting and sound people? Yeah, to a certain extent. And yet, at the same time, it's always really good to mix it up. And I've been lucky enough to mix it up through my entire career. You go do a big movie, then you do a little movie, then you do a medium-sized movie, then you do a TV thing. That's the way I've always led my life. And it wasn't necessarily by design. It was by necessity. You, you went where the work was. And sometimes the work was in independent films. Sometimes it was in bigger movies, whatever the role, whatever the whatever. What did the film struggle look like for you? Well, I was always cast as the bad guy, right? Because I'm Italian. But we're going back now almost 40 years. So luckily that has changed to a certain extent. But Italians were always portrayed as the bad guys. Even if the Italian was somebody who was like a teacher in a school or, you know, something like that, which of course you'd never see that. Um, the Italians were sort of innately evil. And we see this so much with, certainly with people of color, with Hispanic people, with um, uh, uh, people from the Middle East. It's, you're just like, after a while, you think, okay, wait a minute, what's wrong? So no white people are bad. You know, nobody who is ultra Caucasian or kind of, you know, Aryan is bad, unless they're German, right? So that was kind of the, that, those were the rules. The rules are different now, which is, which is good. You didn't even have... Italian last names in in film, uh, unless the person was 
a real, 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 real working class, or they were a gangster. So the only parts you were getting is, can you come in here and not yeah, be? A- yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, like gangsters, uh, or you know, it would I, it would be somebody questionable. It was weird and and unfortunate, and it was just playing into all these tropes and these stereotypes, which we still, unfortunately, ascribe to. When did it change? When did it start changing? It's a very slow change, really. I think if you do something that's comic, that starts to make a difference, oddly enough. But I think the, you know, t- uh, ideas changed. Uh, the Italian, the idea of Italians disappeared. Italians had assimilated um, and become doctors and lawyers and so on and so forth. But once you get older and you lose your hair, all bald guys look alike. That's all it took, Stanley. That's all. That's that's all it took for you to de- all it took. to defeat racism was just lose your hair, get older, lose and then wait, wait a minute. He's yeah. not threatening at all. He's just yeah. kind of brown. Yeah, he's too old now. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that I think that I was lucky enough to eventually get different roles and get and having those different roles, people were able to sort of go, oh well, he can do this or he can do this or maybe this, maybe that. So, and to me, that's what acting is all about. Actors hate the question, what was your favorite role? But I'd like to know if you can deconstruct for us what was your most fulfilling role? Because I suspect there's an answer there that you have because something was particularly rewarding because it was the challenge or some other personal reason. I think maybe the most fulfilling role, and I've been lucky enough to play a lot of really wonderful characters, it was probably the a movie I did a couple of years ago with Colin Firth that that's come out recently that um, this wonderful wonderful director made and it's called Supernova and it's it's really beautiful it's about a, a, a couple a same sex couple who one of whom is going through early onset dementia and um, for me at this point in my life Colin being a great friend of mine. Harry McQueen being this wonderful director, this beautiful script. It was probably, it touched on a lot of aspects of my life. And I I loved the movie and it was probably the most rewarding role I've ever played. What would you say that you're proudest of in your acting growth? Like when you look back at the actor you were in your 20s and what it is that you wanted your career to look like and you look back on it now, how much... Have you looked back with pride and fondness that you got a lot of the things that I'm imagining you dreamed about? I look, I look, I'm glad that it's been as diverse as it's been, even though it's, oh, it's a struggle from time to time. Now it's, it's a bit easier, but there, it always, it's always sort of undulating. Um, I think it's the diversity that I'm most happy about and most proud of that I have done a variety of roles and people still don't know how to place me. And I think that's a good thing. You don't, you don't either, right? You don't even want the placement, correct? You want to be somebody who's a bit of an amoeba who can do a lot of different things, a lot of camouflages. That's, it's one of the greatest, right? Compliments you can give an actor that an actor that you forget that it's Stanley Tucci up there. Yeah. That's what, that's what I want. When people watch the lovely bones, <clears throat> this movie where I played a serial killer. One of the greatest compliments was that halfway through, they suddenly realized it was me. I was glad of that. 
A lot has changed over the years, but you know one thing that hasn't? The great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? I pose this question to you. I don't know. You tell me right now. Okay, yeah, that's good. I like that. Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. The best thing for me about a nice Miller Lite is when I'm on the boat, I bring those tall, I, I don't even go for the, the regular 12 ounce cans. I hit the tall boy 16 ounce cans. They usually come in a four packs wherever I buy beer. You put it in the cooler, you put some ice on top. The moment you take it out and the sun reflects off that gold top of Miller Lite with that white can, a beautiful sight out on the open ocean. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling and it tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com beach, or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories per 12 ounces, fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. You were making drinks on the set of Captain America, weren't you? <laughs> Yes, I was. Not on the set. Afterward. I, and are you, I imagine if you take the care with drinks that you do with food, that you're probably, like you, you're not going to have a flimsy, weak cocktail, right? You're going to have Certainly. a, you're, yes. Well, what's the, what what's, would be the point of that? All right. Well, explain um, to us. Take us through, take, take us out, take us, put us on the set with you. Put us there. Everybody wants access to this. You're making, okay. the, you're making the drinks and you're going to be very particular about this. Yeah. So, if you're shooting a film, at the end of the day, it's nice to have a, you know, at the end of a work day, it's nice to have a, a cocktail. So I would bring, um, I had a martini kit that I would bring, like a, a traveling sort of martini thing. Nothing fancy at all. And I would make martinis. And I was working with Chris Evans and, and Haley Atwell, who are still friends. And I realized that Joe, uh, Joe Johnson, who, who directed the movie, he loved martinis. So I would make martinis for everybody in my trailer uh, at the end of the day. And we'd have a martini and then go about our merry ways. But it's a, it's a nice way to, you know, after you're shooting all day, it's a nice way to just kind of wind down. What do people want to talk to you about most consistently? Like if, if there was one thing above all others, is it hunger games? Is it food? Is it, is it, it can be a, it can be a potpourri with you. I imagine. Yeah, it's, it is a kind of a potpourri. It's a, they want to talk about the devil wears Prada. They want to talk about the hunger games. They want to talk about big night. They want to talk about food. They want to talk about acting and they want to talk about the TV show that I'm, you know, started doing with CNN and, and, and again, that's a really nice thing, you know, um, that I feel like I've tried to diversify, but, but really invest myself in each, each thing that I'm doing. And, and if it has an impact on people, that's, that's cool. Stanley, I got to think though, if you had to rank these, that the one, the, the stranger most likely to actually engage you in conversation is not coming with Devil Wears Prada. Uh, it's a, it's food. It's going to be food that grabs you. I am I wrong about this? That if you're no now, it, now it's a lot of food. I mean, it's a, it is the Devil Wears Prada is a huge one, um, and Hungry and depending upon the demographic too. No, right? but I'm talking about most likely to actually ensnare you in conversation because they're meeting you at your passions. I'm not talking about just random. Hey, can I take a photo? It's the guy from the yeah. Hunger Games. I'm talking about you want to talk to them too because maybe they know something or maybe they've got yeah. some sort of insight yeah. that you don't have. No, you're right. Because they'll say like, oh, I love your cookbooks or I love the, you know, I, what about that recipe? I get people coming over like, you know, I tried that recipe. 
in that. <laughs> and then you go, oh, did you do this? And they go, no, no. I go, oh, well, you have to do that. <laughs> You know, so, but that's that. I do really love that. I love that. And, you know, I get people stopping me all the time, especially, you know, after the, after the pandemic, the pandemic, which continues, uh, people saying, you know what? Those cocktails saved my life. They made me so happy. And now we make cocktails all the time. My husband and I, my wife and I, my partner and I, you know, and it's, and it's really nice to be able to talk about that stuff. Ranking the process on this, not the result, but just the process. You like the process best from writing, directing, acting. How would you rank them? Well, it's very hard to say because they're all very different. Um, they're all very different. I, I, I don't know that I can rank them. I like aspects of directing a lot. I like directing because you control time and space, which none of us can do unless you're directing. I like acting because it's fun, you're engaging, and you get in and you get out. I like writing because of the solitude um, and the reflection. Uh, I like cooking because it's creative, like those other things, but then you really get to engage with people at the end. So I, I'm afraid I can't really answer your question can only answer it in the way I just did. Well, it sounds like you like all of them, though. The reason I asked the question, the reason I asked the question, though, is because I have a very complicated relationship with writing. I like having written. I was asking you more about the process, not the end result, sort of the uh, cooking versus writing. Those can be meditative, but they can also be very lonely. Um, they can be. They can be lonely. Um, but ultimately, you know, they're going to go out into the world. And sometimes that loneliness is what's necessary to make something good. If you're if if you're with people all the time, well, that's exhausting, isn't it? Yeah, no, that's it. That makes sense. But it right. sounds like you've got a better relationship with your processes than I do. Is what it sounds like. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Yeah, because you're choosing the loneliness because you're saying, "Look, I'm going to go right here, and at the end of this, yeah. I've got the confidence to know it will be fulfilling. Not that I'm just going to drown in it and then not have you know then written, but not well." Yeah, yeah. I think, but I think the hardest part about writing, and I'm sure you you know, is that. You know, you sit down and you're confronted with a blank page or a blank computer screen and you go, hmm, I had this idea. Is it a good idea? And then you have to act upon it. The only way you can act upon it is simply to put pen to paper or fingertips to keys and just start writing. Whatever comes out, comes out. That's what I've learned. And then sometimes it's just shit. But there's out of that shit, there's usually one sentence that's something that then takes you to another place. Adam McKay says that actors are very funny. He's just completing a movie here with Meryl Streep and Leonardo DiCaprio. And he says well, that's that, unfair that I'm not in it. All right. But go ahead. He, he says that they're very funny, that actors are. And I don't think of Meryl Streep as funny. So uh, I know that. Well, but I don't know her. I'm just I'm watching. She's one of the funniest people that you would ever meet. This is why I'm asking you the question. You know her, and I'd like to know about some of that funny. She's one of the funniest people I've ever met. If you look at just even the way, in every role that she does, no matter how serious it is, 
she always manages to find the humor. And also, I don't think you can be a really great, um, prolific, uh, interesting, dynamic actor unless you have a sense of humor. I, I don't. I think you can be good. I think you can be, but you can't be great. And she, her, her comic timing is some of the best I've ever seen. And off camera, right? You're talking because yeah, off camera, she's even funnier if that's possible. I can't uh, believe that you were roommates with Ving Rhames. I need to hear the stories, the wild partying stories of Tucci and Rhames. No, no, it didn't happen. What do you mean it didn't happen? No, there was no partying. We were quite serious at that age. So you went, you did your thing. We were in, we were in a conservatory, right? So it was not like a conservatory where you grow vegetables or whatever, like in England, but you're in like, you know, you have like off your kitchen. We were in uh, uh, an arts conservatory. You just went to work, you went to school, then you rehearsed to play. You didn't get home until 11 o'clock at night. You didn't, we were all very serious then. <laughs> Not is, as serious now. It's so disappointing. So you've got- I know, I'm like, sorry, I'm sorry. You guys were just marching to toward your dreams, marching toward your dreams uh, humorlessly because only the great actors can be funny and have fun. You've got to march and grind through the sludge before that. That's that's what we that's what we we thought we had to. Now we know the difference. You surprised me with your answer on what the challenges looked like because when you said just dealing with the stereotyping that went with Italians, I would have thought that this time when you were dreaming before any kind of career materialized, I would think that that would have a great deal of struggle in it. Oh, yeah. Well, without question, you take jobs that come along because you need to cover the rent, right? I think that one thing that young actors mustn't do, which is what I did, which is what we all did, we always compare ourselves to those who are more successful, who are successful. I always wanted to be Robert De Niro or Al Pacino or Laurence Olivier or somebody. And you can't do that. You simply have to follow what it is you feel is right for you and recognize your limitations, but also then push push beyond them. And Ving and I had this teacher, George Morrison, who passed away a few years ago, who always said, you know, go beyond what's comfortable. And that to me is almost a mantra, although I hate that word. That to me is really, 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 really important. And so no matter what obstacles were thrown in your way, when you're trying to pay the rent, you're trying to, you know, whatever, just keep a roof over your head. That's, that's the one that stuck with me. Where and how and when did you start learning that? Because there's great learning, life learning in that. Go beyond what's comfortable. That's where the growth is. That's uh, go toward the pain sometimes. But can you explain what you're thinking of when you explain it that way? Go beyond the comfortable has stuck with you, what, 40 years since? That's, mm. a, that's an invaluable lesson to get that early in the game. You couldn't have bought it immediately. You must have rejected it early. No, I understood it. I understood it because... Because, because it was logical. If you don't go beyond what's comfortable, you're never going to grow. You, first, you have to understand what is comfort for you. What makes you comfortable? Sometimes what makes you comfortable is really good for you, and that's okay. Sometimes what makes you comfortable is based on fear. So then you have to address the fear. But the fear can be something simple. You can start with something really simple, like, are you afraid of the dark? 
Are you afraid of blah, blah, blah? And work incrementally from there. Some people are afraid of success. Some people are afraid of illness. Therefore, they make themselves ill all the time. Hypochondria is not a fake thing. It's a real thing. But where does it stem from? And how do you overcome it? So it's all those things. It's like being on, on stage. When you're on stage, I'll tell you, if you want to overcome a lot of fears, act on stage. I was going to ask you, what were you afraid of? Was it just merely acting? The vulnerability of here it is, I'm stripped down to my talent in front of you. Yeah, that's part of it. But that's also the joy of it. You're afraid of not being a, su a success. You're afraid of failing. But failure, as it turns out, is one of the greatest gifts you could ever have if you really examine it and then go beyond it. So there's, there's a woman who does a podcast here in England, Elizabeth Day. It's called How to Fail. And it's all about failure and where that takes you. And I think about Alberto Giacometti, about whom I, I made a film a number of years ago. And his big thing was, I don't know how to do anything. I don't know how to do what I'm doing. I'm still trying to figure it out every day. I'm failing every day. And yet he was one of the most successful artists of the 20th century. Bob Dylan has a line that is, uh, my sweetheart know, knows that there's no success like failure and failure is no success at all. That sort of sums up a huge part of the human condition. Whether you treat failure as learning, right? Failure, yes, whether you're exactly. willing, whether you're willing to embrace examine, it. embrace it. They're synonyms, correct? Failure is learning, or, or failure is only learning if it's examined. Exactly. Did you arrive at a place along the search where you could say to yourself, "Okay, I'm great at this. I can do this"? Because you just said something about limits, and I don't know if you were doing it with De Niro because you were saying not everybody can be a super famous movie star, or you looked at De Niro and said he's better at this than I am. I couldn't tell from the way you were talking about it which you were saying. I mean, there are so many different ways to determine success, to define success. At first, you think that someone is better at something than you are. But then you have to look at what it is you have to give, what it is you have to offer. What are your strengths? You can do things that that person can't do. You know, my wife is profoundly more intelligent than I am. And yet there are things that I can do, like I can clean a kitchen much better than she can. But you know what I mean? We all have to look at our strengths. And I think that's the problem is that we're constantly comparing ourselves to other, to other people. And that we do ourselves a terrible disservice. Life wisdom. I don't know if it's in his book, but uh, you can find it in Things Around Stanley Tucci. New book, Taste My Life Through Food, is available October 5th. Is there learning to be done in there, or is this just simply satiating the gluttony and uh, your addiction to uh, vibrant tastes? No, not at all. No, there's a lot in there. I hope there, there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there about, about food, about my family, about connections to food, the way we all connect to food. Um, and then, um, yeah. So anyway, I hope there's a lot. In Stanley, you did a really shitty job there at the end of selling the book. Can you do yeah, better I than know, that? Right. You're, you're at the height of the entertainment ladder. What did you just do? You stumbled over the finish line. Tell the I people know. why they need to buy your book. It's an introspective look into your soul through food. 
It is. And then at the end, I, I, I went through uh, a, I was diagnosed with cancer three years ago and I went through a treatment that was devastating that caused me to lose my uh, sense of taste and, and smell. And I was unable to eat for, I ate through a feeding tube for six months. So that I, I wasn't so sure I was going to write about it, but if I hadn't written about it, it would have been a, a sort of, the book would have been a lie uh, by omission, I suppose. The listeners to this podcast, Stanley, uh, know me to be a grief eater. They say that I, I probe around in these places, the dark places. We didn't even get to that. And I'm not going to ask you any follow-ups because it sound, if, I, if you want to know more about that, read the book. There's read the book. Thank you for being on with us, Stanley. I enjoyed talking Thank to you. Thank you. You've been great. Thank you so much. Mike, did it do for you, that conversation, what it does for me? I just feel a little warmer. I feel I don't know what this person has, that it's just pleasant to sit here and talk to him because he seems super likable, especially for a famous person. Like a nice, comforting horchata during the holiday season on your balcony as the crisp Catalan air washes across your face. That is uh, what I felt across my neck. Next week, it'll be more like Malibu, I think. It'll feel a little more like another part of the world. Rob Lowe with us next week. It's quite the panorama of hair cells. <laughs> Very different, yes. That's what we're going for. We're going for, we're, we're showing a spectrum, a range of hair. A lot has changed over the years, but you know one thing that has the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? I pose this question to you. I don't know. You tell me right now. Okay, yeah, that's good. I like that. Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. The best thing for me about a nice Miller Lite is when I'm on the boat, I bring those tall... I, I don't even go for the, the regular 12-ounce cans. I hit the tall boy 16-ounce cans. They usually come in a four-packs wherever I buy beer. You put it in the cooler. You put some ice on top. The moment you take it out, and the sun reflects off that gold top of Miller Lite with that white can. A beautiful sight out on the open ocean. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling, and it tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com beach, or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories per 12 ounces, fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer.